0: not many people have a good relationship with their body. <laughs> we, we take it for granted as ultra marathoners, you know, we know, I mean, we're talking about fine tuning our bodies, but here in America and also in Australia, the vast majority of people, you know, they, they're not in tune with their bodies and their bodies are not in tune with them. And we, you know, I think that is so, so fundamentally important to being human. I think it's such an, uh, an intrinsic part of of what it means to be a homo sapien is to know your body and we've lost that relationship largely in the last hundred years
1: welcome to the sam gash podcast these are conversations with trailblazers rule breakers and those who pave their own lane and venture boldly into the unknown by entering this uncharted arena they inevitably stumble Yet they all display an ability to innovate and contribute, even when the odds are not in their favour. We skip over their highlights reel and go into the guts of who they are and what they believe in. I'm your host, Samantha Gash, and I'm an endurance athlete, a former corporate lawyer, and a social impact entrepreneur. It is my absolute privilege to create the space for these guests. If you found these conversations to be of value or have any feedback, please subscribe, rate and review, and I hope you enjoy. Now, I know this is a conversation that many of you have been looking forward to me releasing. It is with the amazing, humble, brilliant Dean Karnazes. Time Magazine named him as one of the top 100 influential people in the world. Men's fitness hailed him as one of the fittest men on the planet, and Stan Lee of Marvel Comics called him a real superhuman. He's an acclaimed endurance athlete and New York Times best-selling author. He's pushed his body and mind to inconceivable limits, and among his many achievements, he's run 50 marathons in all 50 US states in 50 consecutive days. He's run 350 continuous miles for going sleep for three nights. He's run across the Sahara Desert, he's run a marathon in the South Pole, and that is just a few of his many accomplishments. Now, this is a conversation that I've been really eager and excited to have well before I even crafted the Sam Gash podcast. Dean is someone that has made a significant impact into the things that I do. Similarly, as Ray Zahab did, who was my second or third uh, podcast guest, at the very beginning of the series. Now, what blew me away with Dean is at the very foundation of who he is is just a good salt of the earth human being. He's someone that I think prides himself on his interpersonal connections with the few, but the respect of the masses. And I think this podcast journey for me has been liberating and refreshing because people that I admire, the things that they do and how they show up, I feel like the commonalities that they're good humans with good intentions and they have great foundations of rituals um, that are the basis of how they interact every single day. There's so much I could say about this conversation, but I'm going to leave it to you. Dean is generous with what he gives and how he shares his feelings. What's coming up next? I hope you enjoy. If you love it, share it in the time um, via social media and leaving over to Dean. Dean, I am pretty stoked to have you on the podcast and so has everyone else been uh, by my social media when I told them that you were coming on. You know, when I crafted the idea for this podcast a couple of months ago, you were up the top of my list of guests that I wanted to get on and have a, have a chat with. So thank you for making it seamless and easy for me to reach out to you and for you to come on the conversation. You know, our careers have interwoven in many different times. You know, you were racing bad water when I was pacing it, we've been at UTA, uh, which is I guess previously known as the North Face 100 at the same time you're the narrator of the film Desert Runners in which I'm in but we have not had an opportunity to just be in each other's space so I do really want to go into you know what you've done your life philosophy but I, before we started recording we were having a conversation about you know how we're both coping right now um with our worlds being very, very different, and in many respects, the end not seeming like it's in sight. So I thought I'd start by just asking you the very simple but important, how are you?
0: You know, I have moments. I, uh, I think like everyone else, uh, it's, it's been a surreal experience, and we're in a state similar to what um, you're experiencing outside of Melbourne, uh, Is pretty much a lockdown so we've kind of emerged from lockdown and then gone back into lockdown, and you know, in talking like with my neighbors and such, sometimes you you forget there's a, a global pandemic. You just think you're gonna you know hop hop in the car, head to the airport, and fly to Australia, <laughs> which I was so used to doing, and and it's it's shot it's been shocking, honestly, really shocking.
1: I mean six months ago, none of us could have foreseen that we'd be in this situation. I'm sure you entered like 2020, a new decade with lots of things on your immediate and long-term horizon. How has it, besides being in lockdown, how has it fundamentally changed your everyday living?
0: Well, this has been the longest and, you know, since I started my career as a a runner, so a couple of decades, not to date myself, but it's been the longest I haven't traveled anywhere. And at first, it was it was not so bad. I mean, I had probably my, my busiest uh, race and travel schedule on the calendar for 2020, and it pretty much reversed course entirely. I mean, now obviously I've, every single event I was supposed to attend, all the you know the book signings I was supposed to go to, the keynote presentations, all of that stuff is gone. And and so one, you know, having your your livelihood, uh, you know, just pulled out from under your feet is kind of bracing and at first you you think well you you know let's look on the good side of things um you're you know you get to see your family more you're not traveling which let's be honest travel is not always so glamorous uh but it's come to the point now where it's almost like a a, a, a not like time has warped and i think anyone listening to this has had some some sense of that you 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 know you get up in the morning and (laughs) Because there's, you know, the the day is basically the same as the day before, it it takes on this kind of um, surreal quality to it. And I've certainly uh, struggled a bit with it, even though I'm surrounded with my family, which is fantastic. You know, I miss my extended family. I I can't see my parents, and we're really, really close. And I think, as you know, I have some dear relatives in in Australia. I'm 100% Greek, and half of my family um, immigrated to the US, where the other half went to Australia. So I would frequently visit uh, Australia and I was hoping to get back um, this year and, you know, still holding out hope, but I, I'm trying to be a realist. I, I just can't see it happening.
1: Oh, I mean, I, I appreciate you just being honest about the struggle. And I think sometimes it was only the last three days that I said I went from being calm and content to feeling an, a growing sense of overwhelm. And just yesterday was the first time I felt fear. Similarly to you, like my entire workforce, the way that I knew life to be, went in a day pretty much. You know, how have you been coping with that? And are you trying to recreate um, the work that you do with the partnerships that you have, with the goals that you want to work towards? Or are you just kind of settling into trying to get your head around what's the next thing that's going to happen?
0: Well, it's, it's a strange purgatory because. You know, the, the events were, (laughs) I'm so in in the event business, you know, so used to um, working with uh, race directors and uh, organizers on um, events. And, you know, we had planned a bunch of events for later this year and we'd all so arrogantly as, as humans can be just said, okay, well, you know, we've got our, we've got our uh, protocols, all, you know, the, all the, the. Checkboxes are are clicked off on our protocols. We're you know we're we're good to go, but you know in the end it's it's really up to God. <laughs> you know we we can we can think we're all powerful humans, but to your point, uh, I felt fear. I mean I felt fear for uh, not just my survival, but but for the future. I I can't see that race uh, racing as we knew it is going to come back full scale for quite a while. I mean, I think the reality is now setting in that even, you know, when there is a, a vaccine, it's it's going to be an imperfect vaccine and distribution will be imperfect. And there might be people that, that don't want to be vaccinated and refuse to be vaccinated. So, you know, having mass starts at races uh, it might not happen for years. And I think that's now just starting to set in with people and people really, really looking deeply and saying, "What, what's my next move?" I mean, <laughs> you know, how, what do I, what do I do? Do I look for another job? I mean, do I, you know, fold up? How can I keep paying my staff? And those are really, really hard decisions that have to be made, and they're being made more and more now. And it's, it's bracing, like you said. I, I've, you know, I've had so many friends that have shut up, shut up their, you know, closed doors basically, and just said, "We can't go on," and and that's really hard to see.
1: I think every couple of days we change where we think we're at with it. But considering you have a staff, um, you know, you're kind of accepting the reality that the events world is going to look fundamentally different. Um, and who knows if it actually will ever change um, to what it was, at least in the next couple of years. Like, where are you at now with it?
0: You know, I've, I don't know. I've, I've, I've suffered loss of a family member. So I've gone through the stages of bereavement. And I think I'm, I personally, I think I'm going through it. I think some of my friends are going through the same thing. I don't think they quite have intellectualized it the way I have, but I think, you know, at first, (laughs) first it was um, kind of this acceptance, you know, going into this year, it was about thriving. Like, this is going to be the best year of my life. Like, this is fantastic. And then it came, became about, okay, (laughs) you know, I, I can get through it. It's bad, but I can get through it. And now it's more like survival. Where you're, a lot of people are very fearful. You know, what's how am I going to pay the rent? You know, really practical, hard questions. Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? And when you see that, it gets scary. Uh, that that is a an emotional um, roller coaster that I think many people have been on, and I see it widespread in the industry, in the endurance sports industry, which is a massive industry. Uh, you're you're seeing these signs of people breaking down. I mean. Let's face it, you know, I do a lot of, um, you know, big marathons as well, like all of the majors and, you know, Boston always and New York, Chicago. I I don't, I, I can't see having 50,000 people out at Staten Island for the start of the New York City Marathon in the future. Like I just, I can't see it happening anytime in the future. And, and that's, that's unsettling.
1: You know, you've made a career not just out of um, doing these things, but also mentally pushing past physical discomfort and the uncertainty of what the next step might look like. So with that experience, are you trying to find ways of transferring those skill sets into this new unknown?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that anyone that's running an an ultra marathon has coping skills that go above and beyond a lot of um, individuals. You know, we know how to persist, we know how to grovel, we know how to deal with pain and uncertainty and we're a little more comfortable with uncertainty than i think most you know when i get into a really tough position like you, before this interview started you said you saw me uh, at badwater in 2013 and i was in my little special place yeah i was <laughs> suffering like never before and and when that happens i tend to really be in the moment of time in the present you know the here and now it's so rare that we live every day in in the present, right? We're fearful about the future. We're reflecting on the past. We're not always um, focused on the present moment of time. And what I've tried to do is use that same skill I used to getting through low points during an ultra marathon uh, to today. I mean, just literally do your best right now. Be the best you can be right now. You know, don't think about the future. The future (laughs) is uncertain. You know, live in the moment, do your best right now. And I think that's helping me uh, kind of get through, um, you know, this this really uncertainty that we're facing, a lot of us are facing right now.
1: You know, a lot of ultra runners will be listening to this and I think it's comforting to remind people, you have dealt with uncertainty before. Uh, I think what's challenging for some people is even though they faced uncertainty in their ultra events, they still chose to be in it. And so there's probably more of an acceptance of what that unknown is and this is an adventure that none of us really signed up to do. Um, But I do think we need to be reminded of like human potential Um, that just because we've never seen something before, we don't know what the next step's going to look like versus what it's going to look like in one year's down the track. We are all capable of grounding down possibly remembering that descaling is something really important like going what do I not need in my life right now which might be a financial conversation that you need to have with you and your loved ones Um, because unemployment rates are obviously rising people's sense of purpose through movement might be looking different Um, but I do believe that we have it within us and within our and being able to lean on our community networks to be able to get through whatever this might be.
0: Yeah, you know, it's so many times you, you have to remind yourself to be positive, and you know this this too shall pass. Um, and it's sometimes that's just forced disciplined thinking. But you know, I'm very thankful that for the next you know year or two, I'm I'm okay in my current situation. I think what hurts me more is to see people that are have lost their jobs that that are facing the situations you just described, not knowing like what wh- where am I going to be next next month. <laughs> and as you know, if you lose your job right now and you can't pay your rent, it, it, the, the, practic- the practicality of trying to relocate anywhere is, is almost zero. I mean, how do you even do it? You know, moving, moving companies are, are under quarantine. It's just it's, a, it's really a, uh, a time when I, I think I'm having a harder uh, emotional um, challenge looking at some people that I know and seeing what they're going through. And for me, I internalize it like I think a lot of people can look at someone who's worse off than them and say, "Well, you know they've got it worse off than me, so I should feel I should feel grateful i I don't do that when I see someone else that I know that's struggling, i kind of I have empathy toward them, and I kind of take on their burden as well, and I think that that is a lot of baggage to go to sleep with every night
1: where did Where do you think that that came from like this um absorbing someone else's challenge?" Actually, I heard a really interesting. Elizabeth Gilbert talked about the difference between um, empathy and compassion, and where empathy is actually seeing someone's heartache, whether they've shared it with you or you're, you observe it, observe it, and you start to take it on. So now two people are feeling the weight of that situation, versus compassion, which is holding the space for that person but not also taking on that situation. You know, where do you think, for you in your past, that uh, I guess empathy has played out?
0: My mom. My mom used to tell me I was going to be a priest, so (laughs) maybe that. Okay. (laughs) But I, you know, I was, I was raised, you know, uh, I was raised by great um, uh, parents. Both my mother and my father were fantastic people, and you know, but I was largely raised by my mother because my father was working all the time, and she's just a hugely empathetic individual. Mm-hmm. Uh she's compassionate but I think she more is empathetic as as my daughter is as well. So I think it it's largely a uh, an ephemeral female sort of quality that that empathy and internalizing everything, but that's just my nature. I I can't help it. And you know, my daughter for years wanted to get a dog and I just I was so against it uh not because I didn't want a dog because once we had a dog I was so attached <laughs> <laughs> that you know the dog owned me basically and it. we still have that same relationship I just I don't know there's something about me that gives gives myself over to, to other people.
1: Well then how do you cope with it because obviously that's a weight that you are going to sleep with each night um, and I'm sure there's some negative byproduct that comes from it. Uh, how How do you personally kind of navigate through that so you can still move through the day right now because there's a lot of there's a lot of suffering right now.
0: That's that's why we have running, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's why you're that's why you do a marathon before breakfast.
0: <laughs> that that's the therapy, but yeah, I mean, it, honestly, running is is a save, is is my personal savior. I mean, it's it's you know an hour or two where I can go out and just you know the the heaviness of being is is off my shoulders for a moment. Um, but that that's how I cope. I know that for a fact. Is I, I go running.
1: Well, I think that's a, a perfect space to actually do a bit of a, a shift in our conversation because when I was preparing for this um, chat today, it made me think about how long you have been with me in my running journey, which probably sounds a little funny to you considering we've never, you know, physically ran side by side, but I read your book, ultra Marathon Man, you know, Confessions of an All-Night Runner, before I even knew what ultra running really was. And I think for many ultra runners, they would have a similar experience to me where they read your book and it wasn't that you were this, you know, person who had been ultra running his entire life and it was your stories of that. It was very much about someone who kind of put on shoes in a challenging moment of their lives, didn't consciously think that they were going to run that far. You weren't defined by your past. You just kept moving. And I think whether people read your book and want to do an ultra marathon, or read your book and they simply just want to put their shoes on and just see where it might take them with no agenda other than to try something different. And, you know, I mean, can you almost go back to that time, and I know it's a long time now, and remember what that feeling felt like?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredibly empowering. I think that, you know, you, you break down these limitations that you realize were self-constructed and I think every everyone who gets into an ultra marathon uh, ha- has that same sort of breakthrough like wow uh, I didn't think that was possible and I just did it so I think in a lot of ways it um, it, it empowers you to think bigger and in, in everything you do in your life I think that it um, is liberating in a way because your physical you know not many people have a good relationship with their body. <laughs> we, we mm-hmm. take it for granted as ultra marathoners, you know, we know, I mean, we're talking about fine tuning our bodies, but here in America and also in Australia, the vast majority of people, you know, they, they're not in tune with their bodies and their bodies are not in tune with them. And we, you know, I think that is so, so fundamentally important to being human. I think it's such an, uh, an intrinsic part of of what it means to be a homo sapien is to know your body and we've lost that relationship largely in the last hundred years so that's another something i think that uh ultra marathoners have this this awareness of of who they are as a complete individual and i thought there there's there's an element of that that comes to play and i think you know with regard to my book yeah I I still am uh, amazed at the success of that book because it it wasn't by intention. I mean, when I wrote it, I just wanted to write a book, just to say I wrote a book, kind of as a challenge. And I, you know, when I get messages from people to this day, and I've got whoa, probably I would say close to one hundred thousand messages from people of all walks of life and of all ages and abilities. So there is something universal about what we do that it is it's life affirming that's all I can say is it, it just it makes you feel so alive to run an ultra marathon and it's so counterintuitive because <laughs> you're spending most of the time in complete pain you know wishing <laughs> wishing the finish line would show up that much sooner, but there's just there there's misery and magic I mean there's magic and misery I think that uh we all feel it and we're all drawn to it,
1: yeah, but your book goes it has been more universally. Connective than many ultramarathon books. And I do think that you, throughout your entire career, have spoken to the every person as opposed to the elite athlete, uh, which is why I think you're so popular across the board. Um, I think you have always been able to tap into the beginning. And the beginning of our story is where we evolve from. And as I said, like, it doesn't matter if people want to go and do an ultramarathon. They might just want to put on a pair of runners and just see if they can go for a kilometre, you know, five kilometres. And, and that gives actually them the exact same feeling as if they did an ultramarathon. So for you, in terms of learning how to connect with your body, as you said, something that we've probably lost touch with for a long period of time, was that an almost instant thing that you created once you started running? Or is it really evolved through the more experiences that you've had?
0: I think it's been intellectualized over the more experiences I've had. I think you have those feelings, you know, the first time you go on a trail and you run somewhere new, it's, it's, it's magical, right? And it's spiritual in a lot of ways especially if you're by yourself and especially you know if you don't have something in your ears which you know back when when I started <laughs> unless you were willing to carry something fairly heavy you know you, you weren't listening to music and so I think I think there's something there that appeals to to everyone and you're right you don't have to be in tremendous physical shape to to have those same emotions and those same feelings and for us in in ultra marathoning I mean we we know about you know, the importance of a relationship with nature as well, and how much, you know, the average person has no relationship with nature. I mean, we live in, you know, a basically human constructed environment entirely. You know, we get in our air conditioned cars, we go to our air conditioned buildings, you know, we're we're on roads and paved, paved over earth. Um, there's something about having a relationship with nature that I think also makes you feel alive. I know that I'm more comfortable on a trail in nature than I am <laughs> in a group of people, and we most most individuals do not have a relationship with nature uh, to that to that level.
1: And and I'm very similarly minded. I and I think my son is as well. Like he's not great in a when there's wolves around him, and probably because from the moment he was born, like he was amongst green tall trees you know fresh air seeing blue skies and I think that's something that you can actually hold on to in times like this when you've got locked down but you can still exercise outside that connection with nature is restorative and I think we are seeing whilst there are no events around I think more people are getting into movement whether it's walk jog run and I maybe some small silver lining of this kind of time is that more people will start to relish the privilege of nature and that we can have it um, relatively easily.
0: You know I mean I think that that is what you just stated is probably one of the biggest upsides that is going to come out of this pandemic. here in the US and it's actually happening globally, the number of people running is is gone through the roof. so it's it's absolutely phenomenal if you look at the numbers, most are running solo because uh, that's all you really can do. And also, yeah. most, they, they call them soul runners. Like most of them, they, they've never run a race. You know, they, they probably know there are races. They probably, if you asked them how far is a marathon, they would say it's a long way. <laughs> They'd have no idea. They <laughs> but they're, they're running and they're out moving and, and they do it repeatedly day after day. So they're finding something that's that's appealing uh, over and over again, and I think eventually those people probably will. Some of them, at least, will start to to race. And if they don't, that's fine as well. Just having more people running to me is a great thing. Um, you know, runners, as you know, uh, it's it teaches you humility. Uh, runners are mm-hmm. very compassionate because I think you've been humbledized. <laughs> yeah, uh, it keeps you in your place, as well as you're more you're more cognizant of the air you breathe. You know, you're, you 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 appreciate the environment more, and I think that the, you know the other obviously the 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 upside of the pandemic is that the environment has has benefited tremendously.
1: But I think we're going to see this interesting shift to people going. Um, I don't have to work. I can work remotely. Maybe I should shift and move towards like more um, remote rural environments where I can access nature easier because that's actually what's helpful for my
0: mind. And I think that it's you can you can have kind of that life and also have a a legitimate job if you if you will I mean like a a, a mainstream job because you know the offices are closed so people are much more um, able to work remotely so I think you know that the trend you're noting could be something that lasts for a while
1: yeah I mean you've got a lot of um I, mean, I think North Face has been one of your sponsors for I mean I don't know. From the very beginning, you you still with North Face?
0: Yeah, no, I am. In fact, uh, I was the very first runner with North Face, and <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Me, yeah, it took me years to convince North Face that w- they should be into trail running, that we should be into trail running. I mean, they oh. they didn't, you know, they. I said the writing's on the wall. Like, there's there's a lot of runners because I used to run on the road as well, and I said there's a lot of runners, and as soon as they get off the road on a trail, they are hooked. And it's that's going to be the, the growth of the sport moving forward, and you know to the North Face credit, there there wasn't a lot of runners there. I mean, when I first hooked up with the North Face, it was a bunch of you know climbers and um, you know extreme skiers and that and that crowd. So they thought you know hiking on a trail is good, backpacking is good, but running on a trail that's that's something foreign. <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, I I know that you've had quite collaborative relationships and new partnerships. Are you having different types of conversations, you know, with the North Face right now about, you know, no, there's no races. And obviously, North Face has sponsored events, you know, quite a lot in the past. Um, are you working with them to reframe how um, they create connection through this time? Because as we've said, like, running is gone through the roof.
0: Yeah. And, you know, those are conversations I've had with the North Face. I think they, they realize to an extent what's going on. The, the thing with the North Face is they had gone through a big, big uh, redesign for a launch <laughs> at the beginning of 2021. So, mm. you know, new, new footwear, new everything, new apparel. And, you know, they had, they had obviously um, planned a number of events to be at, you know, including UTMB and, you know, Western states here in the U.S., and of course yeah. it's questionable you know if there'll be any events next spring so it might be more digitally inspired and digitally motivated but i think that's one thing the north face has a pretty strong athlete team so you know we we can promote it that way but you're absolutely right for um you know for uh, a soft goods uh, company like the north face these are these are scary times you know there's it's yeah. uncertain times i mean north face their products have been in really great demand. And, you know, like Lululemon's been selling so much, um, you know, at at leisure sort of wear. And that that could be a trend that continues for a while. So in some sense, it's good. There's there's no competition, but it's also it's hard to showcase a a whole new line when you can't bring it out uh, in mass.
1: Yeah, there's so many shifts. I mean, in terms of like uh, long-term goals, I know one of your goals was, was to try and run a marathon in every country, in the world um, in under a year. And uh, earlier in the kind of podcast season, I interviewed Nick Butter, who, I mean, fortuitously managed to squeeze in um, that endeavour in a longer period of time than a year um, just at the end of last year. So it's, I mean, incredible that he managed to do that. But, I mean, that, that concept must just seem never have seemed so foreign as it does today. <laughs>
0: It's funny because um, Nick and I got to, he came up to my house uh, in February ah. and we were running together and I was telling him, you know, I, he was, he was giving me a lot of tips and things, you know, for me, for me to do what he did in a year would be very challenging because, you know, he, he was able to kind of just slip under the radar into certain countries and, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that, but he was helping me you know figure out how it was all going to happen and, and now, to your point, uh, I think I might have to revise that dream because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> who knows, right? Who knows? And, and honestly, you know, given, given what, I've, how, what I've seen with the environment and how it's benefited from less air travel, maybe it wasn't such a good thing anyway because it was heavily reliant on, on getting on airplanes and flying around.
1: Yeah, well, you're—I mean, you're a dreamer. Um, That's at least the way that I kind of perceive you, based on curiosity. So, if you're reformulating your dreams right now, and I know you're about being present, but you know, am I correct that you're still wired to creating goals in this space?
0: Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. And you know, there's there's a number of things I've thought about doing that are more domestically, uh, you know, in the U S just because that might be where I have to start. But yeah, yeah I know I have a lot of, a lot of um, really cool adventures. I mean, I, I'm not much of a, you know, a, a fastest known time guy. Um, FKTs, I don't know. They don't hold that much appeal to me for some reason. I, I I had a kind of a bad experience when I did, I attempted to set a record one time and this was back uh, in the late nineties even <laughs> uh, where, people kind of, they were, they were put off by it. You know, I was running on a trail. They were, they were, you know, they were spending two weeks, you know, backpacking on this trail and I'm running by kind of offended. I mean, kind of upset. I can't get by him on this single track mountain pass. And they were a little offended by, you know, me just not wanting to chat with them and kind of wanting to move on. And I kind of got, I got what they were saying. I said, you know, they're right. I'm wrong in this situation. So I've always kind of been turned off by that a bit since that time. But I do have a lot of adventures, you know, that I want to do and to be the first known time because it'll be the first time it was ever done.
1: I had this conversation with Nick and I also had it with James Lawrence, you know, the Iron Cowboy. And I have an interesting relationship as well with fastest known times and even like first known times. Uh, And I get why um, an adventurer kind of has to think in that lens because it's about partnership dollars and profiling and it kind of, I guess, helps with the credibility and legitimacy of what you're trying to do. But I've always wrestled with, you know, how that affects the why and the internal drive um, and the relationship with the process of it. And, uh, I, I, yeah, your career has been about the connection that you've had with people, you know, in in, in combination with the place.
0: Yeah, you know, the, the one time I ran 50 marathons in 50 states in 50 days, I think, I, I look back on that and I still, as as it, as it ages, still think that was a really a, a, a great thing to do because it wasn't just about me. Of course, there was a guy trying to do something that had never been done before, but it was uh, more about getting other people to join me along the way. So, in conceiving this, you know, I, I said I, I want to have other runners be able to join me. I don't want it just to be me running marathons by myself on you know on in fifty states. And people loved it. I mean, we we had permits and for up to fifty people, fifty other runners to join me. And in every state, we had like a hundred people on the list. So there were more people. Yeah, it was incredible. And cool. people were running in multiple states. I mean, people were like, whenever there's a, t- a slot would open up, they'd fly to some random state and come join me. So it was about a movement more than just one guy doing something. And to me, that, you know, that that to me is, is a little less chest pounding than like an FKT.
1: And I actually, I've said this so many times on this podcast, I think that's where we're moving. I mean, although we're having um, challenges of people being in close proximity with each other, I think partnerships with different, you know, sporting brands, the question is going to be when you put forward your project idea is how does this support a bigger collective than just you as an individual? And you've been doing this through a huge part of your career, which is why you have, I would say, such popularity amongst runners in general, because you do try and bring people along to the journey, either physically or through the storytelling of it. Um, But I think the flip side of you have become popularized in a sport that oh, it's almost got this subculture of what people perceive is a purist of a runner. And I mean, in the early days, did you face a little bit of backlash because you started to get profiled on a bigger scale?
0: <laughs> it wasn't just a little bit, it was, it was a lot of it. And,
1: I mean, it was a leading question. Sorry about that. <laughs>
0: And I, I try to keep it in perspective. I mean, still, it, it's a very, very small percentage of, of uh, you know, the kind of noise around my brand. But you're right. I mean, I I, I think some of it was very mischaracterized because uh, a lot of times when I read like a criticism of me, it would be like so out of character. It, w- it was just obvious the person, you know, and a lot of times people would not, you know, it, these are anonymous posts, which I think... You know, if if you want to be credible, you talk to the individual in person if you got a problem with someone, first mm-hmm. of all. And if you're gonna write something behind their back, at least, you know, say your real name. And, and <laughs> but I think a lot of it was just them thinking it was I was out, you know, for the glory of myself doing it just for me and that I'd given away the, the holy grail of, of running by introducing the world to ultra running. Which <clears throat> I guess, you know, from a very narrow perspective, I I get that viewpoint. But again, uh, mo- most people have no idea what an ultramarathon is. They might have heard of an ultramarathon. They don't know what it is. <laughs> so it, it's, it's, a very, it's a very small um, subset of even runners that run ultramarathons.
1: How, how do you cope, I mean, in this instance, but just in general, um, with criticism? Like what's your process of kind of, uh, I guess, mentally processing and, and moving forward?
0: You know, I personally, I, I think I, I benefit from criticism. So I try, to, uh, I, I try to read as much as I can to see if, if there's a valid point. I mean, I'm, I'm very much into improving and learning. And, and um, you know, if, if I am offending a consistent number of people by doing something, then changing. Uh, so I, I do read it. And a lot of it um, has helped me. It's helped me to understand other people's perspective, which I think is very healthy. Um, again some of it you know when someone leaves some cryptic you know message and their you know their their on screen name is to cheese <laughs> some cheese kind of <laughs> you you know go enjoy your Toe cheese i'm i'm like it, that's yeah I, I don't give that much credibility
1: well i mean if you're reading all this stuff and i know that you try and respond to people who, when they reach out to you how much energy does that actually absorb and no wonder why you have to go for such long runs afterwards to kind of keep off the screen.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, it's a blessing and a curse with, with the rise of social media. Um, you know, before I used to get handwritten letters. And, I, I mean, I've got, I keep everything I get. Like, I'm, I'm kind of sentimental in that regard. So I've got boxes in, in my garage. I mean, literally boxes, file cases <laughs> in stacks of letters from, a lot of them from kids and stuff. And I just can't let it go. I mean, my, yeah. my, poor, my kids, <laughs> when I go, they're going to have to score <laughs> through all this stuff. But um, now with, with the, the amount of, I mean, but you can tell I'm already conflicted. I mean, so many times I, I open or just glance at a message and the first line is, hey, you changed my life. Thank you. Like when someone tells that to me, it's, it's, it's worth its weight in gold. I mean, you can't quantify something like that. It's such a gratifying feeling, and I just feel like uh, I, I owe this person to reach out to them. And I would say, without a doubt, this, the second, after I reach out to them, the second most common uh, line I get, first sentence of their response is, oh, my God, I can't believe you responded to me. <laughs> yeah. So I think I appreciate it. And you're right. It, it's a lot of work. I mean, you know, you get a lot of fans coming toward you. It's just, it's, it takes a lot of time. And it's hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I feel a part of it is your job as well as like a moral um, responsibility in a sense to kind of get back to people. Um, and I think with every job, you know, being a professional athlete uh, and partnering with brands is not just the physical pursuit and the, and the mental kind of, you know, hardship of doing what you do, but also how you choose to engage with the people that are connected to what you do. Um, and it's probably what's given you longevity uh, in this arena, if I was to be like kind of brutally honest as well, um, that you don't silo off just your adventures and the races that you do. You choose to engage in a far more holistic level, which also makes me think, you know, running the way that you run takes a lot of time and i'm i'm really intrigued how you manage you know your relationships the key relationships in your life and because there's a lot of people who You know, running can be seen as a solo pursuit. It can also be perceived as a selfish endeavour if you're not careful in how you, you balance it. And I'm sure there's been a degree of personal sacrifice being away from your family so much to race. So how do you, one, have you how have you managed that? And two, have you tried to create ways of letting the pendulum swing to create that balance?
0: Well, I mean, when I first started out, and I think anyone who's who's listening to this, who's has a a young family and, um, you know, wants to engage them. uh, The important thing is to engage them. So, you know, I brought in my kids and said, you know, Hey, I want to go to, for instance, i want to go to Australia. There's this race in this place called the blue mountains. And they said, you know, what are the blue mountains and why are they blue? And I started talking about, you know, the off-gasting of the gum trees and, and they were really, really intrigued. So I kind of built it up that way. And then, you know i did the race but I, we also spent two weeks in australia doing stuff for them yeah. <laughs> so it wasn't about yeah. you know going to dad's race like being oh no we're getting dragged to another one of dad's races and dragged around and then, oh <laughs> you know and then and then when you ask them next time you want to go to more races you know they're like oh gosh here we go again so anytime i travel with my family i made sure it was a it was a balance between you know stuff for them and and a race It was never just about me racing and wanting them to be there standing at the finish line. So I think that's one thing that I've done that I encourage others to do as well. And, you know, the other thing is um, to talk to your family, you know, and Mm. ask them, you know, do you mind if I run? And a lot of times, at least my family says, Dad, you're driving us crazy. Please go running. So they've been pretty receptive to it.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good advice um, because I think when you do something that maybe your family members don't do, it can be hard for them to get their heads around it because they don't viscerally know what that feels like and how that makes you show up in a better way to them and also to yourself. So having conversations where you can describe it, one, it's, simple, you know, it's developing your ability to communicate with your family and I think if you can explain why it's good for you, um, that's also good for them as well. Um, I mean, in the early days, you got titles like fittest man on the planet, and you know, you were on a lot of magazine covers. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a degree of like, maybe ego that comes at play. I'm not saying necessarily now, but at the beginning, did you kind of feel that you were fueled by that acknowledgement and, and being revered in that space? So I guess the question is like, what's your relationship with ego, the good of it, the bad of it?
0: That's a really good question. I, and I, I, I personally, I, you know, I don't think that highly of myself.
1: I mean, I, I love the humility of that, but you've also like, you've deeply lived like Dean and you've put yourself out there. You've put yourself out there to do things where you don't know how it's going to look. You've done things when you've been criticized and you kind of keep going forth because you believe this is the life that you choose to lead. And what makes you decide to really commit to something? Like what does it, what boxes need to be ticked for you to go, okay, for the next year, that's what I'm focusing on?
0: You know, well, the sense of adventure, uh, for one. I mean, I think, um, you know, I mean, if you look at uh, they were challenged not necessarily by, by breaking records, but by doing something that was adventurous and maybe something for the first time. I mean, like running a marathon to the South Pole, that just sounded like an incredible adventure in, in its own right. So I, I, I really like the element of adventure. and to me that could be um, adventure uh, running in a new place. It could be adventure exploring like I, I'm 100 percent Greek, as I said, and exploring some of ancient Greece and looking at the ancient you know like the ancient Greek runners, uh, the, they call them the Romi, the all-day runners, you know looking at where, the, where they ran and kind of learning, so it's more of an intellectual. Uh, adventure but I I first and foremost look at it you know is is this going to be a grand adventure
1: can we talk about that project that you did in Greece because obviously it's connected to your heritage Um, you know it's also it, it shows your internet intellectual connection with the projects that you do as well and how you want the storytelling to be beyond just your personal experience
0: Yeah, so I I captured it in um, my latest book. It's called The Road to Sparta. And you listeners might think, you know, what's Sparta and where's the road? Well, I wanted to recreate the original marathon. I mean, you know, to us, the term marathon is very um, ubiquitous, right? We just throw it around like like any other catchphrase. Um, We really don't assign much meaning to it. And nor do we assign much meaning to ultramarathon. I mean, we know an ultramarathon is a long race, but, you know, what were the origins of the ultramarathon? And, you know, in doing my research, uh, this started over 2,500 years ago in in Greece. And the Greeks Mm -hmm. uh, had this class of citizen called himorotheromi, which means basically translates into all-day runner, and it was essentially a faster internet. In, in ancient Greece, um, they realized that in the rocky and, and you know kind of rugged terrain of southern Greece, uh, a marathon runner or a runner could outrun a horse. So instead of you know sending horses to dispatch to city states to you know to gather intelligence or to disseminate news, they'd send these runners. And this is 2,500 years ago. So I thought, well, how you know. How are these people able to run this far? First of all, and so I did some research on that, and you know they had this stuff they called pastilli, which was ground sesame seed and honey. So it's almost it's almost like an energy paste, and they used to eat this stuff for energy. And they 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 were trained on how to forage as well, so they could find uh, olives along the way, they could find figs, uh, they could find sources of water, and the original marathon. Actually, there was an ultramarathon that preceded it in that when the Persians invaded Greece at a place called Bay of Marathon, the, the Athenians realized that they were badly outnumbered and they were going to get slaughtered unless they had reinforcements. So, you know, the most badass fighting force in ancient Greece was the Spartans. And so they thought, we have to dispatch one of our runners to run to Sparta to help, have the Spartans join us in battle or we're going to get overthrown by the Persians. So that's a course of 153 miles and in the ancient record the the runner arrived the day after setting out which can roughly be interpreted as a sub 36 hours so i thought how can a guy run 130 153 miles in sub 36 hours 2500 years ago
1: did you know this before you started researching it or uh, is it was it kind of like a conscious decision i want to i want to understand this space a bit more
0: yeah no i went into it somewhat naive i mean i thought You know, we know we talk about the marathon happening in ancient Greece, right? The story is a guy uh, after after the Battle of Marathon, he runs to the Acropolis and, you know, he proclaims uh, Nike, Nike or Nike, Nike, which means victory, victory. We are victorious. And then he dies. So it's Mm. it's a pretty good story. I mean, most marathoners are loosely familiar with that story. And I thought that's a really good story. There's got to be more to it than that. So actually, I contacted one of the uh, the foremost authorities on ancient Greek culture, and his name is uh, Paul Cartledge, Professor Paul Cartledge of Cambridge University, and he was really receptive to the idea of working with me. So he, this guy is like a walking Wikipedia. I mean, he is amazing what he knows about ancient Greece, and he kind of guided me to like what to read, like what ancient um, manuscripts do you read, and where are the references to this runner? And, you know, what, what other sort of um, information can you gather to put together exactly what he did? Because this, again, this is 2,500 years ago and, and mm. just fast. I thought, you know, this, this is a challenge beyond mm. just, uh, just running.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I am completely wired to, to those types of projects where they're just so multifaceted. And, you know, I can imagine the more that you do these things, the more you're wanting to test and explore yourself in different ways as well. And, you know, it it probably goes like you don't always just have that same interest to just kind of, you know, run a marathon or run 100 miles. It's like, how else can I share this, a deeper story behind it?
0: Yeah, no, I, I, you know, on on that point, I'm actually, um, I just finished writing the the script, the movie script to um, Ultra Marathon Man. So, Uh, someone bought um, motion picture rights and they had a, they had a writer lined up and I read some of the writing and I thought, you know what I thought immediately? (laughs) This guy's, he's not a runner. Like he told the story, (laughs) but it had none of the emotions and the feelings that a runner experiences. So I, I, I said to the, the, the producer who bought the script, I said, you know what, we need to, we need to, rethink um, how we're going to do this. And I said, basically, anyone who works on this project has got to be a runner. And I, I said, I don't care who it is, they have to run preferably at least a marathon. Because unless you've run, you don't know what it feels like to run. So it's crazy to have a yeah. non-runner writing a script about running. <laughs> and even though you know, he kept saying, well, it's, it's you know, the movie is way more than just running. And I said, I know it's way more than just running. But any runner can see through a scene of running if, if it's not le- authentic and legitimate. And you know, I've oh, seen, yes. I'm a surfer as well. So, you know, I love to surf and I've seen so many cheesy Hollywood surf movies. I just thought it'd be really easy for Hollywood to do a horrible running movie and I'm not gonna let it happen. <laughs>
1: Good on you, because you know there's two ways where I also see that play out. When you see a model who's in a run shoot who's not a runner, and straight away I'm like, oh, don't want to have any affiliation with that brand. And secondly, my husband who was with the SAS, he always, you know whenever we watch um, a war film, he straight away notices if someone's not holding um, their machinery correctly. And so running might not be everything about this feature film, but it's the premise. And, you know, obviously you have a massive audience in that space and they're going to be the definite people who watch it and they want to feel the legitimacy of that. Where Where's that project at at the moment and who's playing you?
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, there's this thing called the non-disclosure agreement.
1: Oh, so, no. <laughs> I just don't know if anyone could play you but you. <laughs> Can you not do it?
0: I, I don't I don't I think I was you know the story is me as a younger man. I might have a role um hint, okay. hint in the movie, but I can't awesome. I can't say much more beyond that.
1: I'm gonna be uh very disappointed if there's not a really good like chiseled jawline of the person who's playing you. <laughs> I'll be seeking that out. <laughs>
0: oh well i'm glad you're i'm glad you're saying that because so many people think of runners and they think of you know the skinny little um, gaunt individual and it's always been it's always been a goal of mine to portray running as something healthy and and physically good for the body not something that you know because a lot of runners let's face it they don't look so great uh and i just i didn't want to be that i didn't want to convey to the world this is what running's about
1: i mean you've been doing this sport for multiple decades now and I feel like there's a lot of uh you know you're a good science experiment in reality of what it potentially can look like to be sustained in this type of sport for a long period of time what would you say is like the premise of your holistic approach to to being an athlete
0: well, you know, it's changed dramatically. So the first thing I would say is that people can change. And I'm certainly someone that has, because if, if you read Ultramarathon, man, I mean, the opening scene is <laughs> it's me ordering a pizza <laughs> while I'm on a run. So, you know, I've, I've changed my ways. I've, uh, I look at my life through the lens of being the best animal I can be. So everything I do uh, has that filter applied to it. So whether that be uh, the food I put in my mouth, You know, the way I I train and and cross-train, I do a lot of cross-training. The sleep quality really matters. I mean, I used to pride myself on only sleeping four hours a night, and now Mm -hmm. I've changed. maybe that wasn't so healthy, and I don't think it was. Uh, The other thing that I really um, pay attention to is my interpersonal relationships. I think a lot of athletes uh, don't realize how profoundly that impacts your performance, you know, if you have harmonious interpersonal relationships, you, you just, you do everything better. And and the contrary, if you have, you know, really conflicted and, and uh, you know, not so loving relationships, it impacts the way you perform and the, impacts who you are. So I've looked at all, I look at all of those things when I, when I go through uh, the course of a day and how, you know, how to be the best I can be through maximizing all of those.
1: I would actually love to see... Um, your next book, if you're wanting any book ideas I, of that conversation of the stability and nourishment of interpersonal relationships for an athlete, because I think it's something that's neglected by many. And sometimes the lessons are learned the really the hard way. Uh, and I just think there's a huge need to hear more information and storytelling anecdotally, but also maybe um, across the spectrum from from that
0: yeah, and I think, you know, I'm very much a, an introvert, and I get the feeling you are as well, so yeah. I tend to have uh, fewer, deeper relationships with individuals. I have friends that are extroverts, and, you know, th- I see the way they, they maintain their friendships and their relationships is so much different than the way I do. I mean, they have, uh, you know, less in-depth relationships with a lot of people, and that's kind of who they are, but I'm not like that, and I'm, I try to stay true to who I am.
1: It's only in like the last three, four years that I've like, oh no, actually, you know, for the things that I love, I can, I can show up in that space. I can give a lot to, you know, a large number of people, but what I draw my strength and energy and, restor- you know, the restorative connection is small, uh, in-depth relationships with only a few. Uh, and I think it's a process that you discover as you get older, uh, as well as you, as you know more about yourself.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that, you know, the, the Greeks said it well, know thyself. And I think that age certainly helps you understand yourself. But I also think, you know, I, I, I quote, I say, you know, to know thyself, you have to push thyself, um, yes. not you're out of your comfort zone, you you learn about your true self. And I think that's the beauty of, of running uh, an ultra marathon is, you know, it builds character, but it also reveals character. So that's mm. one way I think. Your marathoners are just a little more mature a little more in touch with who they are because they they've gone through this process but I agree with you um fundamentally that you you learn more about your personality through um through activity and experience
1: well and would you say I mean for for many many years you've obviously had um, a tie to charitable organizations and and charitable endeavors was that something that's always been intrinsic and, and fundamental to you, this need to contribute? Or do you think through experience, you started to um, realize the importance of that for you?
0: I think it's been intrinsic in my nature, but I think it's been reinforced when, you know, you, you see how, how it makes you feel when you help others. And, you know, you, certainly it's, it's, more, it's more of a mainstream notion nowadays that, you know, one of the, the best ways to feel good about yourself is to help someone else. You know, I learned that years ago. That it just it made me feel so much more fulfilled when I was giving rather than taking, and and so that's kind of how I you know constructed my life around more about giving uh, because that it just made me feel better.
1: Yeah, and then I think that's important to kind of say that the giving can make you feel something, but if no one else was watching, you can still feel that. And um, when I ran across India. Uh, I don't know if you know about that project I did, but in 2016 I, I ran from the west to the east of India, and I was doing it um, in partnership with a with World Vision and looking at different barriers to why children are unable to go to school. And I was very wide on the objective of the run, but also you know, raising funds and raising awareness of these stories so often untold. But I, I'm as similar to you. I do a lot of in depth. Uh, research before I go and do a project like I want to know everything on that topic in that landscape everything and I came across this lady called Sister Suda and she's this um, Catholic nun in India who basically has devoted herself to one of the scheduled castes that are considered the untouchables and when she was in her early 20s she moved from quite an affluential um, (laughs) a neighborhood in Kerala in India and moved into that community and lived in a mud hut and really worked on advocacy through connection and trust and connection and trust can't be built quickly it takes time and I remember observing this lady from reading about her then I finally got to meet her and I actually put a stop to the run schedule because finally got in contact with her she's in her 70s now and someone said you can go and meet her but it's 10 hours away from where your route is and I had this moment where I was like do I keep pursuing what I thought the goal was do I put a pause on that goal and actually go to what really I want to see and I did I, I stopped the run I went and spent 10 hours driving to see her spent a day with her and to be honest like that run in India my privilege was getting to meet her and she was this true example of what contribution really is where no one else is watching where you do it and the struggle's real and you do it forever and uh I think with running, that's been one of the, the best things that I've ever got to experience by seeing people in their environment do what they do. And we've been fortunate as runners also to do it in a really small snapshot. Um, but I think as you know, human beings, like contribution is so critical and we're going to see it play out more and more because people will need um, support into whatever this new normal is going to be.
0: Yeah, wow. Um... <laughs> I'm trying to process Yeah, sorry,
1: that's totally a tangent it. not
0: where I expected yeah, to go. No, it. No, no, I, mean, yeah, I knew about your you know, it, it you hear about people doing extraordinary things. I mean, I heard about your run across India, but you just hear about it, you're like, wow, I, I like I love everything she's about. But until you actually kind of talked about what you just did, I don't you know, you don't really you don't think so deeply about what you went through. I mean, you you know, you just talked about one small experience of I'm sure you know a, a novel length of things that you dealt with on that one journey and it's it's just phenomenal what you went through and it never you know like i said it never really struck me until this conversation how deep an experience like that is you know you hear about someone doing something like that and you just think ah oh, that's cool but then they they actually talk a little bit about it and you start thinking about what they went through <laughs> i can't even imagine
1: But isn't this like that beauty of experience, like true experiential, immersive things, which is what you've done through your entire life. And sometimes you think you know what the objective is, but it's that reckoning moment of when you're truly present and in it, when you go, actually, that's not what I was looking for. It's, It's this, it's this other thing entirely. Have you had that happen throughout your career where you thought you knew what you were doing and then you were like, no, 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 it's actually something else?
0: Without a doubt, but I think the, the, the rarity is that you don't talk to a lot of other people that have had similar experiences. I mean, even within the realm of ultra-marathoning, you, know, I, you don't talk to someone who, walk, who ran across India. <laughs> it just it doesn't happen, and, and it's rare that I ever have any like, prolonged interactions with someone that can kind of relate to some of the things I've been through, and I can kind of relate to some of the things they've been through. So I think that's kind of what struck me about um, you going into uh, a little bit of of what you did when you were in India.
1: I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you're, well, actually, it's so weird to say that. Maybe you're not super busy. Maybe life looks very different right now. (laughs) You know how you always think, like, one of the coolest things that I did with one of my um, close girlfriends, which is kind of my philosophy behind the podcast, is um, unconditional time and I don't I don't do it for many people and I guess the podcast has been an, an extension of it you know because so often we book our schedule so tightly like you know we have five 15 minute space between things but sometimes you just want something to go to their natural conclusion and you don't know what that's going to be so like I would say with my girlfriend I've got an unconditional time for this catch-up um, but I do want to be wary of your time um, it's been a super privilege to be at a be in your space to be perfectly honest and, and I don't say it lightly when you have been someone quite uh, fundamental to my career um, to what I do and I know that I'm not I'm not one of few to say that I'd be one of many to, to say that to you and you're incredibly humbled and I know that you also take it in but I want to say thank you I want to say thank you from so many runners for sharing your story um, so openly and to keep sharing it um, throughout the decades.
0: Well, I, I I very much appreciate you saying that. You you just made my day in a way you'll never understand, but thank you very much for saying that.
1: Oh, that just made me feel a little bit emotional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it when Dean says, to know thyself, you need to push thyself. And right now, um, through COVID-19 and 2020, which has thrown so many challenges our way, I feel like that conversation with Dean was refreshing, it was honest, it was raw, and one of the other byproducts of this time right now is that so many of us are working from home, which means there has been a strain on the internet quality, and you may have noticed that that conversation came to a a slight abrupt end, uh, and that's because Dean's internet was clicking in and out, which gives us a great opportunity to connect up for part two um, a little bit down the track. I hope you guys love that. Um, what would be amazing if you found this conversation to be of value uh, or you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review, but also take a screenshot of the podcast, put it up on your socials, tag Dean and myself, and you can find Dean at Man uh, on Instagram. Uh, I hope you guys are happy, safe, and well wherever you are. Thank you for tuning in to this conversation all the way through to the end, and I look forward to bringing you next week's episode. See you later.